Coming up on today's episode of the Lockdown Bucks podcast, we talk about the Buccaneers inducting Monty Kiffin into the Ring of Honor and answer a few of your voicemails. Guys, do you remember the days when you were always ready to go? Now you can increase your performance and get that extra confidence in bed. Listen up. Blue Chew, that's blue like the color blue. Blue Chew brings you the first chewable with the same FDA-approved active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, so you know they work. You can take them anytime, day or night, even on a full stomach, and since they're chewable, they work up to twice as fast as the pill, so you can be ready whenever an opportunity arises. Now, this isn't just for guys who can't perform. It's for any guy who wants that extra function to enhance their performance in the bedroom. For instance, you know, a lot of guys talk a big game, but if you're a one-and-done kind of guy, Blue Chew can even help you get to round number two. Blue Chew is prescribed online and shipped straight to your door in a discreet package, so no in-person doctor's visits, no waiting in the pharmacy, and best of all, no more awkwardness. They're made in the USA, and since Blue Chew prepares and ships direct, they're cheaper than the pharmacy. Right now, we've got a special deal for all our listeners. Visit bluechew.com and get your first shipment free when using our special promo code LOCKED ON. Just pay the $5 shipping. Again, that's B L U E CHU.com. Promo code LOCKED ON. L O C K E D O N to try Blue Chew for free. Blue Chew is the better, cheaper, faster choice, and we thank them for sponsoring the podcast you are locked on buccaneers your daily tampa bay buccaneers podcast part of the locked on podcast network your team every day what's up and welcome back to the locked on bucks podcast i'm james yarko joined as always by david harrison you can find everything that we're doing over at bucksnation.com and make sure you follow along on twitter at locked on bucks at jarko underscore bucks at dh82 underscore bucks and at bucks underscore nation david we um we have something fun to talk about we got a couple of voicemails uh we got a couple of responses to our our food takes over the course of the last week in fact somebody had tweeted that they were trying a cheesy gordita crunch and i was very proud and then i think i made his day by telling him he could do it with the doritos taco i mean i don't know why you held that information out for me and my first run uh that that could have been a, a big swing vote there. So I mean, I don't know. It, I, I it, guess it because pretty valuable to uh, to have left out. I guess maybe because I'm not a huge fan of the Doritos tacos. It seems like for a hard shell, they're they're like almost soft. It's kind of weird. No. Um, I've never had one, so I don't know. But yeah, but I, I mean, I it, it is delicious. Now here's here's a question before we dive into Buccaneer stuff. In regards to Doritos, are you a regular nacho cheese guy or are you a cool ranch guy? I mean, I can go either way, but I like nacho cheese is my preference. Okay, cool. We we at least agree on that. I'm not a fan of the cool ranch Doritos unless there's a dip involved. I can mm. I can enjoy them like, you know, dipped in guacamole. Yeah, that's really good. Or queso, that's really good. But if I'm just eating some Doritos with a sandwich or something, yeah, I want the nacho cheese or the spicy. Yeah, it's just nacho cheese for me. I don't really have any other. Like, if I eat them, it's just because they're the only thing available. If it's not the nacho cheese. Fair enough. Fair enough. I'm actually kind of surprised nobody asked us that question. Yeah. Yeah. Seems like a valid question. It, it, it does. But all right. Well, let's dive over to some Buccaneers news. Over the weekend, Monty Kiffin, former Buccaneers defensive coordinator, had a surprise 80th birthday. 
well, surprise 80th birthday party. And it was announced there that Monty Kiffin would be the 2020 Buccaneers Ring of Honor inductee. Monty Kiffin spent 13 years as Tampa Bay's defensive coordinator from 1996 to 2008. In 12 of those 13 seasons, the Buccaneers had a top 10 scoring defense in the NFL, including being the number one scoring defense in 2002 when the Buccaneers would go on to defeat the Oakland Raiders in Super Bowl 37. Buccaneers owner and co-chairman Brian Glazer said, quote, Monty Kiffin's contributions to building and sustaining one of the most dominant defenses in NFL history were crucial to our franchise's most successful era. Monty worked closely with Tony Dungy and John Gruden using his signature defense that became the team's identity and was a key part of winning the Super Bowl. He was an outstanding coach, teacher, and leader who consistently got the best out of his players, and we eagerly anticipate welcoming him into our ring of honor this upcoming season. Monty Kiffin also ranked as the longest tenured coach in Buccaneers franchise history, having spent 13 seasons with the organization under head coaches and fellow Ring of Honor members Tony Dungy from 96 to 2001 and John Gruden from 2002 to 2008. Monty Kiffin becomes the 14th inductee into the club's prestigious Ring of Honor and the date for the induction ceremony will be set once the schedule is released. So David, there, there are a couple of guys that we've talked about before regarding the ring of honor and who we believe should be inducted next, who, sh who should be considered. And I don't think Monty Kiffin's name has ever come up in our, in our conversations. No, I, I would be surprised if it had, and it's, it's, not because it's not deserving or he's not deserving. It's because I mean, he's a coordinator and, and let's just be honest with it. You know, when you, when you go back and you look at the great coaches of the NFL, like you don't really talk about who the coordinators are when you're associating, you know, Super Bowl wins and, and all those things, even, you know, the, the Belichick tree, you know, the, the coaching tree, you talk more about, you know, what those coaches did outside of new England than you do what they, then you talk about what they did inside of new England. Um, and, and it's just that's just part of you know the the whole uh, the the landscape of things. Coordinators talk you know late in the week prior to a game. They don't really talk immediately following a game, uh, so on and so forth. So they're just they're not in the spotlight as much. So when you have those types of players, I mean, it, it really just kind of shows uh, the appreciation the franchise has for a guy like like Coach Kiffin to to dig in and and and, and pull his name out of the hat because there's some some other worthy you know candidates. I know. James Wilder's name is is one that comes up every year, and uh, that's a little bit before my my awareness of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers existed. But I can you know look back at the stats and the film and and some of the things that he was able to accomplish on the field and, and appreciate what James did for the franchise. But Monty, I mean, you're talking about a Super Bowl winner, you know, like like you just recaptured, you know, one of the greatest defenses not just in the franchise's history but in NFL history uh, created or you know at least you know helped usher in an era of a defense that was copied over and over and over again, but really never done as well as that group did it. So uh, yeah, well-deserved, much-deserved. Um, and I hope, you know, if, if everything lines up correctly, I, I hope to be there uh, for at least the press conference like I was for Ron Days this last year, to, and hopefully I can be there 
uh, in Tampa when when they actually uh, put him in there. That'd be an, an awesome opportunity. And I'm sure all those guys are going to be back there. You know, uh, Simi and Rondé, all those guys are going to be back there to see Coach Kiffin uh, get his name up there on Ray, J. Ray J's Ring of Honor. Yeah, absolutely. Now, of course, Kiffin will mark the fourth coach uh, to go along with the 10 players that are already inducted into the ring of honor. And yeah, James Wilder seems to be the the guy that we always talk about kind of getting snubbed. Um, I do believe at some point his day will come. And and I think the Buccaneers actually kind of hurt themselves by doubling up so many times. You know, this is something that could have been stretched out a little bit, doing one one at a time. But you know, it's it's cool that they're that they're recognizing how major of an impact Monty Kiffin had on this team, on this franchise. And we always talk about going back to the the Super Bowl era and and the glory days of the late nineties and early 2000s and you know it, it even said yeah in in part of that statement that he he worked with two different head coaches over that time you know tony dungy and john gruden and he was the constant and it just seems like maybe sometimes he he gets overlooked for how great of a coordinator he was and, and how impactful he was in this franchise's history and and without him you can easily easily make the argument that they never even sniff a Super Bowl, let alone win one. Yeah, I mean the talent on the field is great, but we've we've talked about it time and time again. I think every NFL franchise or you know beat writers that cover the NFL have talked about it. Coaching matters. Coaching is very important. And again, uh, Monty is is the best coach to ever put that style of defense together. Uh, and he did it with that group of guys. You bring in another guy, even if you're trying to maintain the same defensive scheme. You bring somebody in outside of Coach Kiffin, and it's not going to be executed. It's not going to be run, coordinated as well as it, as it was with Coach Kiffin. Uh, the worst thing that could ever happen to the Buccaneers' defense was Coach Kiffin leaving to try to help his son save his own, you know, coaching career. But uh, I mean, never, never, you know, shade a guy for family loyalty and, and trying to do what's right by his his child, his child or children. But yeah, I mean, I would definitely make the argument that if the Buccaneers lose Monty Kiffin after they bring in John Gruden, that that team probably doesn't win the Super Bowl. They might probably still playoff team, maybe even compete, you know, here and there, but I don't think they win the Super Bowl without without Coach Kiffin. All right. Well, David, let's go ahead and jump over to some voicemails and uh, see what our listeners want us to uh, debate or argue about or discuss today. Hey, guys, this is Yusuf out here in Phoenix. Um, so I have a quick question. Um, so. With Bruce Arians saying that Shaq Barrett is not going anywhere, and obviously the speculation of um, Jameis Winston or Shaq Barrett being franchised, um, you take the risk of alienating Shaq Barrett if you franchise him. Um, I, I'd hate to see that. Um, I think he deserves a long-term deal, you know, four years, maybe three, I don't know. Just something, something respectable to me. At this point with Jameis Winston, I want him to do well. Don't get me wrong, but if he leaves, I'm I'm not going to be upset because we've given him all the time in the world to figure his his stuff out, and he hasn't done it. So I feel like if you're going to alienate someone, I'd rather it be Jameis. I don't know if that's fair or not, but. Um, 
I just don't want to see Shaq Barrett, you know, go, and I don't want him to be franchised, and then next year he ends up going somewhere else, and we have another Michael Bennett uh, situation on our hands again where we just lose a guy that was very productive for us. So that's my only concern. Um, I know it's a business, obviously, um, but I'd rather see Shaq Barrett um, get the long-term deal. And I, I don't, I don't think Jameis Winston deserves it, uh, a long-term deal by any means, but, um, just your guys' thoughts, um, you know, um, love what you guys do. Keep up the great work and, uh, we'll talk to you soon. Peace. All right, Yousef, thank you very much for the call. Look, I don't, I don't think that using a franchise tag on Shaq Barrett is going to alienate him in any way. I understand your sentiment. I understand your concern. And I think in this case, if the Buccaneers opt to use the franchise tag on Shaq Barrett, it's because they know that they want him back and maybe they just want the extra time to exclusively work with him on a longer term deal. They don't want to have to bid against other teams. If they tag him, they guarantee that he stays in Tampa. He can't go out. And, and talk with you know, his agent can't talk to other GMs, can't negotiate whether the teams can't use them as leverage. Then they get the extended period of time to be able to work out a long term deal that works for both sides. You know, doesn't put the Buccaneers in a bad cap situation, ensures Shaq that he gets the, the money and the term that he earned last year, being the NFL sack leader and breaking the franchise record in sacks. So I don't think that that Shaq would look upon it poorly. He probably wouldn't want to play under it, but it's it's an insurance policy for the Bucks saying, "Hey, we want you here." You know, Bruce Arians, as you pointed out in your voicemail, Bruce Arians pointed out that he's not going anywhere. So this is the insurance policy. The Buccaneers can make sure that he doesn't go anywhere. Then they have a, the exclusive ability to work out that long term deal and, and keep Shaq in Tampa Bay for the 2020 season and beyond. Yeah. I mean, it, it happens a lot where you see players get franchise tagged and then they end up signing you know, a three to five year contract during the summer, you know, or early fall or what have you um, following, you know, being tagged. Uh, it doesn't get as much press as the guy who gets franchise tagged and then sits out. So that's why, you know, people are, are I think a little bit less aware of it, but it's, it's been known to happen for a player to get tagged and then sign an extension you know, during the during the rest of the, the remainder of the off season or even early into the next season, so I, I wouldn't worry too much about that. And as far as Shaquille Barrett's personality, I mean, this is a guy you have to go back. You have to understand where where someone came from to understand where they want to go, right? And Shaquille Barrett is a guy who he, by his own words, sat in the shadows in Denver, and basically because he wasn't uh, a marquee name or or famous like Von Miller, just wasn't ever going to get an opportunity to get on the field as much as he wanted to and how much and impact the team as, as well as he thought he could. So in 2019, he went out looking for a team that was going to give him the opportunity to earn the right to be on the field, not based off of the name on the back of his Jersey, but based off of the work ethic and performance and practice in the meeting room, so on and so forth. And there really weren't by, by his own conversation with us, there really weren't a lot of teams out there. I think, I mean, I know the Bengals were one, right? I think the Redskins maybe, where, where another team that kind of came calling James and then it was the Bucks. There, there really weren't a lot of teams kind of knocking on Shaquille Barrett's door saying, hey, we want you to come here and we want to give you an opportunity to be a main part of our, a main contributing part of our defense. So Shaquille understands 
what the Buccaneers did. He 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 appreciates what the Buccaneers did. He appreciates what Todd Bowles did and bringing him in here and putting him in a scheme that really accentuated all of his strengths. And these are all things that he said during the season and has said again since the offseason began. Um, he talked earlier in 2019 about how he's played in a 3-4 his entire career, his entire football life, but he's never played in a 3-4 like this one. And he understands the value that this scheme brings to him as much as he brings value to the scheme. So I, I don't think he's he's really too worried about whether he gets tagged or whether or not he gets a three-year deal right off the bat or a five-year deal right off the bat. Because what Shaquille Barrett knows is that he entered 2019 betting on himself, looking for a place where he could not only secure his spot in the National Football League as a as a contributor and as, as a name to be known, but also put himself in a position where he could take care of his family for the rest of their life. And no matter what happens, whether Shaquille Barrett gets a $15, $16 million tag or whether he signs a deal that's worth 13 to 15 you know, on average for the next three to five years, his family is set. His family is absolutely set for the rest of their lives. And, and he seems like a guy who's smart enough. He's been living on kind of those smaller contracts, you know, for NFL relative that they're not going to go out and blow a $13 million contract in one year on a whole bunch of lavish things. They've got a pretty stable life. He's got his wife. He's got his kids. They're pretty focused on what they need to do. So a $13 million contract, he understands that that sets them for life if they wanted to, you know what I mean? Uh, now, now that doesn't mean he doesn't want more money that he wants to go get more money, but all things come, you know, as they come and Shaq understands if he plays under the tag that he has the ability and he's in a system and a scheme that's going to afford him the opportunity to prove that if he gets tagged and they go into a negotiation process, then again, you have the same situation, but I don't think Shaq is the kind of guy who's going to approach this from, well, you tagged me. Well, screw you. I'm going to go get my money somewhere else next year. I don't think that's the case with Shaquille Barrett. As far as Jameis Winston, I mean, there, there are so many people talking in the background of Jameis Winston's situation that's hard to know what is true and what's posturing and, and what's politicking. So I don't even really want to get into the whole thing. Um, but as far as Shaq is concerned, I don't think franchising him is, is going to alienate him in any way, shape, or form. Now, if you're asking our opinion on what's going to happen or what we think you know should happen, I feel like... Uh, Shaquille Barrett's the target for the tag and Jameis is not as the secondary target for the tag. Like if Shaquille Barrett were to sign an extension, uh, you know, in, in early March, then I think Jameis gets tagged. If neither of them sign an extension before, you know, early to mid March, then I think Shaq gets the tag. And uh, depending on what happens with the CBA, it looks like there, there'll be two tags at their disposal, but I think Shaq gets the franchise. Jameis gets the transition. That's just how I see the tea leaves for, you know, for whatever it's worth. All right. Well, David, let's go ahead and jump over to the next caller. What's going on, Locked on Bucks podcast? It's Dr. Buck here, at Dr. Buck 2002 on the Twitter thing. Uh, listen to the last podcast. Let me let me just throw my thoughts out there, right? Let me, let me, let me let you guys into the PhD mind of Dr. Buck. All right? Thank you to all thank Bucks for laughs every Sunday, every day. But the D-line situation, talking about JPP, Carl, and Sue, who's the odd man out. Well, we're bringing back Shaq, whether he likes it or not. We're going to lock him down. I wait if we have to. Pretty pretty clear Bruce says that, and Shaq likes to hear this family and everything. Makes sense. So we got him here. JPT, what do you have? Like eight sacks in ten games or something ridiculous on pace for ten plus, which we only had one in the past, what, eight-something years? Shout-out Gerald McCoy never doing it. But bringing to the main point of this, Carl Nassib, is a facet of our defensive line. And I think I'm in the minority of saying this. I think he's more important than Sue. I know Sue, he's still the double teams, 
and he helps you out, and that's great. But what he's demanding from a price standpoint, I think Carl's ability to play the three tech and the and the D end, as well as experienced commander in the locker room captain, that's uh that's what we want. On to the draft situation, talk about I've I've seen people like such as trading up. That is effing stupid. Trading up is effing stupid. Jason Light knows this from Roberto Guayo. But this, this tackle deep is this tackle class is so deep. I wouldn't be about trading back, maybe picking up some more second round picks in the Carlton Davis MJ Stewart type of thing, which we look about back at it, we drafted MJ before Carlton, which is I don't know. And I'm in my little rant on this, the Jameis. Jameis rant. What do we do with Jameis? Honestly, I have no clue. Hopefully someone inside one buck does. Dr. Buck doesn't. That's out of my pay grade. Uh, I don't know. I've, seen, I've read an article they say maybe trade for Matthew Stafford. I, I don't know at this point. Flip the coin. Joe Bucks. At Dr. Bucks 2002 on Twitter. See y'all. All right, Dr. Buck, thank you very much. Um, wow, a lot a lot to unpack there. Um, okay, so for starters, opting to not bring back Sue, I, I understand it. I get it. I don't disagree with it. We don't know that Sue has priced himself out of the market. We don't know what Sue is looking for. That's, you know, that's a variable that we just don't have the information on. We could probably assume that he is going to look for something similar to what he got last season. I don't think that's out of the question by any means. But I understand wanting to let Sue go, keep Nassib as part of the defensive end, outside linebacker rotation, draft a guy to to line up next to Vea. Yeah, I'm I'm perfectly in favor of that. Yeah, I'm not going to be upset if they bring back Sue either. Uh, it all it all depends on on the bottom line as far as the business side goes. For I'm I'm not going to dive into Jameis again, David. Um, but you know you've you said on this podcast you would be fine trading for Stafford. I think I would be fine trading for Stafford, depending on what it would cost. If the 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 rumor right now is it's going to cost a first round pick, isn't it? Is that what we've seen, or is that Slay, or is it both? I mean, that's the same for both, yeah. Okay, yeah, I would not give up a first-round pick for Matthew Stafford. Um, And as far as trading up, I'm not a huge fan. If the Buccaneers were able to trade up and grab uh, Joe Burrow, I would do cartwheels up and down my block for as long as I could before I ran out of breath. But that's going to cost such a ridiculously high price that there's no way Jason Light would ever do it. I don't mind trading up later in the draft, you know, when the price isn't nearly as high or you're throwing out day three picks, you know, the draft the year after and, and, you know, moving up a couple spots here and there. That I don't mind. Jason Light has gotten really good at trading back and acquiring more assets to then turn around and trade up. So... Yeah, other than that, is is that everything? Did I did I get it all? Yeah, that's that's everything. Um as far as you know, Carl Nassib or Dominic and Sue, I mean, if if you're looking at signing Carl Nassib and JPP for a combined twelve to fourteen million versus signing JPP and Sue for a combined eighteen to twenty million, I probably lean towards Nassib and JPP. But 
if the difference between signing NASA and JPP is, you know, 16 million and, and Sue and JPP is 18 million. I mean, it, it, a lot, there's a lot of factors to that. It's not just Carl. Like Carl's great. Obviously he's a leader on the team. He's got a great personality, great motor. Uh, he brings energy on the field every time he steps on it, all that stuff. And, and I appreciate it. Don't get me wrong, but you know, Anthony Nelson is, you know, everybody talked about Anthony Nelson was a Carl Nassib prototype or, or, you know, car- carbon copy obviously had the injury. So they know more about his injury status than obviously we do and what they saw in him before the injury and what they think they can get out of him after da, 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 da. Like if they think Anthony Nelson is ready to be Carl Nassib in 2020, then you have no reason not to pick up JPP and Sue, let Carl walk, you know, despite all the other additional things that he brings to the field because this this team has enough personalities and enough leaders on it already that they'll be okay from that standpoint. But so the, so there's a lot of layers to it, but I don't blame anybody. You know, if, if you want to in a vacuum say you want Carl Nassib over Nomin Sue, I'm not gonna argue with you. I'm not gonna tell you you're wrong. There, you know, I'm just gonna say there's a lot of layers of this thing. Uh trading up. I'm never gonna be a fan of trading up. Like I said, I've said it a million times on this show. The only reason a team should ever trade up is if you're that one guy away from competing for a championship the buccaneers are not that one guy away from from uh competing for a championship or you know you're drafting a guy that barring injury is going to be a starter on your team for 10 years starting today as soon as you pick them and as far as i'm concerned there's only three maybe four guys in this draft that meet that billing that's joe burrow jeff okuda chase young and tristan worfs tristan worfs is the maybe he's the possible if we're doing spades math so outside of trading up for one of those guys which I don't think the team needs to trade up for Okuda. I don't think they're going to trade up for Chase Young. They don't have enough capital to trade up for Joe Burrow, I don't think. Tristan Wirfs, like I said, he's kind of the wild card. I don't know if I'd actually trade up for him or not, to be honest with you. Um, and as far as Jameis is concerned, this is all I'm going to say about that that whole part of it. Um, this, is, this is the thing that kind of is, is getting more and more frustrating as we go on, which is why, uh, James, you've noticed I've kind of checked out of the social media conversation on i'll talk about it on the show when it comes up and dr buck did bring it up no wrong answer here honestly there's there's really not like every single if you if you look at me and say the buccaneers should keep Jameis, could that be successful i will tell you yes and then if you flip it and say could it be a failure i would say yes if they trade for matt stafford same questions yes to both Derek carr yes to both philip rivers yes to both tom brady yes to both teddy bridgewater Get the theme, Jordan Love. So, so that's that's the kind of the part of it is is there's really no correct answer. There's just the only answer there is is what are the Buccaneers going to do? And none of us out here can answer that question right now, and we're not going to answer until they answer it for us. The only thing I want to see from the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, whatever direction they go, is a commitment. Like commit to what you're going to do. That that's the only thing I really want to see. Like if I had a demand. Commit to wherever you're going to go because that's what drove me crazy, James. You know this from the John Gruden era is that man could never commit to a quarterback. No, I know, and I know there were moments where it looked like he was going to commit, and then like an injury happened. So maybe it's not all John Gruden's fault. Got it. By the time John Gruden was the head coach of this of this franchise, this team never had a quarterback that they were 100 behind. This is the guy we're shaping our team around because believe like no matter what anybody says, if your team if your quarterback is Joe Flacco. You're building your team around that quarterback. You may not be building your team around that quarterback for that quarterback to carry on his shoulders, but you're building your team around your quarterback's personality and ability on the football field. So if you have a Brad Johnson, again, you have to have that defense carry him all the way to the championship so that he cannot lose it for you. 
right? And that's fine. They need to figure out which quarterback team around. If it's Jameis Winston, fine. Do it. Five years. Lock it down. Build a team that can carry Jameis Winston because that's what's going to have to happen. If it's not Jameis, then who? If it's Derek Carr, fine. Go get him. Build a team around him. If it's Phillip Rivers and a rookie that you're grooming, fine. Sign Phillip Rivers, draft a rookie, build the team that you need to support that rookie when he takes over. I'm good with it. Just just commit. That's, that's all I'm asking is commit. That's what drove me crazy about this two-year deal. A two-year deal for Jameis Winston is not a commitment. So anyway, that's all I'm going to say on that. Um, and then, yeah, trade back. I'm team trade back every year. doesn't matter what year it is. Trade back. Yeah, well, unfortunately, we have like – 20 days before we find out what the Bucks are doing with the franchise tag. And then less than a week after that is when free agency starts. So we're still like three weeks away from a real answer as to what they're going to do. No, I'm not even like outside of getting a question on the podcast about it. I'm not even paying attention. I'm, my mind is not even on that. Um, I'm all about the combine and I'm all about, you know, looking at free agents that are available. I'm not even thinking about that situation. Yeah, I'm I'm so far beyond over it that it's it's not even funny because there's just you guys have seen Twitter. It's not a pretty place. All right, David, uh, we have more voicemails. One, more. we have two more, two more. Let's do it. Hi guys, this is JT from Texas. Got a little behind on my episodes. I'm catching up now. I'm actually making tacos. Thanks to y'all. <laughs> uh, I do have a a scenario, and I want to see what y'all think. A percentage of this actually happening would be uh, if we sign Jason Pierre-Paul and Shaq Barrett and Carl Nassib and let Sue go sign Jameis Winston I think we've got enough cap, uh, money to do that and then turn around and draft an offensive tackle in the first round and a defensive, in, a defensive tackle in the second round what do y'all think the percentages of that actually happening would be? And if y'all think it's a possibility, throw out some names that y'all think we might actually get with those two picks. An offensive tackle in the first round and a defensive tackle in the second round. Without moving, who do y'all think we should get? Keep it going, guys. Give me some more food ideas, too. All right. Thank you very much for the call. David, we're going to have to... Oh, we're going to have to math. I don't like mathing. Okay, we we need to take this one step at a time. Let's work together here. Yeah. All right. The the percentage possibility that the Bucks bring back Shaq, JPP, and Nassib. And Jameis. Let's take it one step at a time, sir. <laughs> Let's start with the defense. Shaq, JPP, and Nassib. Uh-huh. What is the percent that those three guys return together? Uh, I mean, I would say 75%. 75%. That's pretty low. I was thinking like 95%. So well, because I think JPP and Shaq are coming back. Like I honestly, I strongly feel like JPP and Shaq are both coming back. Carl and Sue, I honestly feel like it's one or the other. So we give them each 25%. It's a, that's a four way pie, right? So JPP and Shaq are 50%. Carl and Sue are 25 each. So 75%. I don't know. That's that's where I went with that. All right. So let's let's do Shaq and JPP are at 100%. To me, yes. 
Okay. Well, to me too. I believe both of them will be back. Okay. So we got them at a hundred percent. Now I didn't, I didn't hear him say Sue. Did he say Sue? Yeah. He said like not basically signing Carl and letting Sue go. Okay. So then we have a 50%. Yeah. To me, that's a 50, 50 and a 50%. And I think a lot of it is price point. I think a lot of it's price point between Sue and Nassib because understand that Nassib may not want to come back for the price that he's been playing at. So again, if, if Nassib wants six and Sue wants eight, but you can talk Sue down to seven and you, you can't, you can't talk Nassib down from six. Would you rather have Sue at seven or Nassib at six? Mm, probably Sue at seven. You know what I mean? So that's, that's a big part of it. So, all uh, right. So Jameis Winston coming back. Mm-hmm. What, what are we giving that as far as a percent? I would say right now, 50. I would say a 50% chance. Yeah. I would say you give Jameis 50% and you give 50% to the field. Yeah. Okay. All right. Now we're into first round offensive tackle, correct? You know what? I'll give Jameis 51%. Because, 51%. Why are you messing with the Because math? if it comes down to keeping, because of what Bruce said, if it comes down to keeping the quarterback you know and working with what you know and trying to improve what you know needs to be improved versus letting him go and going, you know, jumping into the neither and, and finding out what, what you're going to come back with, because there's no guarantees of anything that you're going to come back with. Um, I think the Buccaneers stick with what they know. Okay. All right. Fair enough. All right. So now we're on to first round offensive tackle. Mm -hmm. Now I would say we give this like a 15, 20% 20% chance just because there's so many unknown variables. We, he said no moving, no trading. So we're at 14. Is there going to be a run on quarterbacks and, and an offensive tackle falls to them? Is there going to be a run on wide receivers and defensive players? And one of these quarterbacks fall into their lap if they have mm-hmm. someone that they're not sold on. But then again, in this scenario, Jameis is the quarterback. So the Bucks obviously wouldn't go quarterback. I don't know. I, I, it's such a, there's so many different things that can happen. You know, I, I don't know. It's, it's a matter of if Kinlaw falls in their lap, are they going to draft? Who's the kid out of Houston? Josh Jones, Jacob Jones. And there's Josh Jones. I'll stop. I don't have a list in front of me. Yeah. Um, So, I mean, wouldn't they take Kinlaw over Jones in that situation? I would believe that they would. I don't think Kinlaw is going to make it to 15 uh, I don't or to 14. So either, sorry. But um, I mean, I never say never, obviously, especially in the NFL draft. The The wild card of that whole thing is Mekhi Becton. And, and it's funny because Evan Winter and actually and I, I were just talking about this earlier because Mekhi Becton kind of reminds me a little bit of Amani Awarie. And if you go back to 2019, Amani Awarie was a day one, maybe day two guy for the entire buildup to the NFL draft. And then he got to the NFL draft. And he's a day three guy. And so the media had one thing on him. The people inside organizations, the scouts, the actual decision makers had a completely different idea of who he was. And I mean, we'll see what his career turns out to be. But at least in 2019, Amadio Warrior didn't get any cornerbacks in Detroit fired. You know what I mean? So he didn't exactly go in there and set the world on fire on a defense that really was not that impressive. So, I mean, take that for what it's worth. So I kind of wonder, is Makai Becton... This year's Mani Aurier, whereas he's getting a lot of press, he's getting a lot of hype. Um, but you know, it may not be a lot of it may not be substanti- substantiated. Um, I would say if it's true, like if out 
that Makai Becton is moving into the first round conversation. I mean, there are guys talking about him being top 12, top 10. If that's true, then I put the Buccaneers getting offensive tackle at 60% because uh, because there's there's three, maybe four quarterbacks going in the top 15. Um, I, I think there's two wide receivers going in the top 15. You've got defenders like Isaiah. Uh, oh, I just lost his last name from Clemson. Simmons. Um, Xavier McKinney is getting more and more love at the safety position. I wouldn't be surprised if, if a team at like 11 or 12 pulled trigger on a guy like that. Um, there, there's just a lot of possibilities. When you insert a guy like Makai Becton into that part of the conversation, it starts to push some of those guys back. I've seen some mock drafts now where Andrew Thomas even slips and makes it all the way to 14. Um, so, I mean, so if that's true, so if that's, if that love for Makai Becton is going on in NFL draft rooms as much as it's going on in the media, then I put it at 60%. But if Makai Becton is this year's Amani Awarie, then I put it at 40%. Like it, that, it's, a, it's a pretty steep drop for me. Um, and I feel like at 14, if Becton doesn't push a guy like Andrew Thomas down to 14, that the Bucks probably draft back or trade back and grab a guy like Jones, like you said. Okay. Well, for the sake of this argument, we have to find a middle ground here. So you have to pick one. Is it is it your 40% or your 60%? I'm going to go 40 because I really believe that this Makai Becton love is mostly in the media. Yeah, shared with me. So Ken Grant uh, on Twitter, I don't know his Twitter handle, but Ken Grant actually shared a stat apparently um, that Makai Becton allowed a 14% pressure rate on about 80 deep drops. And that's just, and that's Evan trying to quote Ken Grant. Like, so take that with a grain of salt. If you know the tweet, if you go find it, uh, maybe if Ken Grant's listening to this, he can share it with us. But it basically it's a really bad uh, percentage of, of snaps that, that, uh, that his team tried to, to, to execute. And Makai Becton gave up a, a, a higher rate of pressures on those drops than you would want. So when you look at the amount of teams in the NFL right now who are emphasizing uh, the passing game, especially the downfield passing game, trying to stretch the field, trying to take the lid off defenses, if you have an awesome offensive tackle prospect who can't protect, can't engage and hold a block very long, that's not good. And it's not usually going to inspire a first-round draft pick out of that. Um, the first time I ever mocked Makai Becton in anything was to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and it was in the middle of the second round. So for him to be getting top 15, top 12 love now, all of a sudden, like uh, it, it's a little weird to me. And I, I kind of feel like it's more media hype than it is reality. All right. Well, then that takes us to drafting a defensive tackle in round two which I think now you're looking at the percentage being even lower because you are in the second round. Those top guys are gone. Who knows how many defensive tackles have gone off the board? By the way, we put we put offensive tackle at 30% because you said 40, I said 20, so we're, yeah, you know, we're working together. We're at 30%. Um, I'm going to put defensive tackle in the second round, especially – well, I mean, we gave we gave Indomit and Sue a fifty percent chance of returning to the team, but I'm going to drop mm-hmm. it all the way down to ten percent because there are, there are still other needs on this team. It's it's a best player available type of scenario. So if your boy Dobbins drops to the second round, the Bucks aren't going to take a a third tier defensive tackle over somebody who could be a 
you know, top eight NFL running back. So, you know, the deeper you get into the draft, the slimmer the chances are. So I'm saying I'm saying 10% for a defensive tackle in the second. Yeah, I'd go 25. And uh, again, it's it's kind of a position of need versus best player available type of situation. I think the Buccaneers are going to be looking for the best combination of both. And you're right. You've got defensive tackle needs. You've got uh, secondary needs, specifically at the free safety position. You've got potential running back needs. And let's not forget, wide receiver is is a potential position of need. Um, behind Mike Evans and Chris Godwin, the Buccaneers may not have anything outside of Justin Watson coming back in 2020. And if that's the case, in an extremely deep wide receiver class, you can get a guy on day two that probably would be a day one talent in most years um, in this class. So if if a guy, I don't I don't want to you know get too crazy, but if a guy like Ayuk is sitting there from Arizona State because of the depth of this class at at, at this at on in the second round, you you add Chris Godwin or you add Mike Ev- or you add Ayuk to Chris Godwin and Mike Evans, that's that's a pretty lethal uh, trio of wide receivers there, and especially if you bring Jameis Winston back, who we all know has a tendency to throw a little high. Ayuk is long and he's tall, so I mean that that's you know that's going to be okay. Um, obviously, you still don't want it if you can prevent it, but that's a whole other conversation. So I put it 25% because the way I look at it is there are four position groups. If they go off as tackle in the first round, then you got defensive line, free safety, wide receiver, running back. That's four positions that you could possibly look to fill. You can even throw a fifth one in there, a quarterback, if Jacob Easton is there, if they, if they do bring back Jameis. Um, you could, you know, it's people have talked about them doubling down, drafting Jacob Easton in the second round. So you can even throw a five, knock down to 20%. You know what I mean? Something like that. As far as a name, James, I don't want to give a name, honestly. And the, and the reason I don't want to give a name is because we've got an episode coming up Wednesday where someone smarter than us about the draft process is going to give our listeners some names for day two defensive line talent. Yeah, I would agree with that. So, yeah, just just make sure you tune in on Wednesday and you'll you'll get some names there. So, David, what this rounds out to is all of these things happening. We personally on this show have given this scenario a 59.7% chance of happening. That's a lot higher than I expected. Yeah, me too. But also not great at the math, so maybe I did it wrong. I don't know. Sounds right to me. Yeah, it works for me too. Um. All right. Uh, we have one more. One more. One more. Let's get it knocked out, brother. James and David. Hey, it's uh, your buddy Jim in South Carolina. South Kekalaki. Uh, calling in with, uh, I think, a pretty uh, interesting question for you guys. But first, I just wanted to say congratulations to David on getting his 20 years in. I uh, don't know if you remember, Dave, but I did, uh, told you guys in previous podcasts that I did 22 years active duty Air Force and never regretted uh, when I retired uh, and, and having it all these years later. Um, there is truly a great life once you retire, Dave, uh, out of the military. All right, so cool. Congrats. All right, question. Here we go. If you guys were uh, younger and you had the athletic ability to play professional football and the Buccaneers were interested in signing you, what position would you want to play? Enjoy the question, guys. Love the podcast. All right, take care. Bye-bye. All right, Jim, thank you very much for calling. It's been a while, brother. It's uh, it's good to hear from you. Uh, okay, this is this is out there because I'm assuming, David, and you can correct me if I'm assuming wrong, if we had the athletic ability, that does not change our physical size, correct? No, I mean, yeah, your your size is your size. Okay. Cause I'm kind of a smaller guy. I'm yeah, you I'm are. I'm five foot ten. 
So I'm not going to be in the trenches. I'm not going to be a linebacker. I'm not going to be a wide receiver or a tight end. Not I, I'm not even big and I'm not even as tall as Drew Brees. I couldn't even be like the short quarterback. But if I had the athletic ability to have the Buccaneers interested in me, what position would I play? I guess safety. I think safety would make the most sense being being five foot ten. I mean, you could be a five foot ten running back, but I would rather hit somebody than get hit. Mm. Um, so yeah, I I'm gonna go free safety because they need one. They definitely do need a free. Well, I mean, they need some competition in the free safety position. Okay, I, yeah, fair enough. Yeah, I mean, nobody. So nobody's asked this question, so I'm just gonna throw it out there. I I want to see them bring Andrew Adams back and let Mike Edwards and Andrew Adams kind of scrap it out to see who wins during training camp, maybe bring in like a, a late day two or day three or early day three guy to compete with, uh, with them. And then Dakota Dixon coming back off injury. So anyway, uh, that's, that's my own personal stance. Um, okay. So for me, this is a multi-layered question, which I know you're shocked by. So growing up watching football, running back was my favorite position to watch. And, May or may not be because I grew up as an Ohio State fan. So obviously, you know, Ohio State has a long lineage of, of great running backs. Not all of them were great in the NFL, but at least at Ohio State, they were great. So for a long time, a running back was my favorite position. Once I started really paying attention to the Buccaneers, defense kind of started to, to uh, attract me. Cornerback kind of started to, to aid. The last time I played football, I was an inside linebacker. I don't know how good I was. Uh, I would say not very. Um, I did recover a fumble once. I don't know what that counts for. Uh, however, midway through what would have been my sophomore year in high school, I had to move schools for uh, things that I'm not going to disclose on the show and ended up going to a high school that just didn't have a team. So after that, I never played football again because we just didn't have a team. I definitely didn't go to college because of some of those other reasons as well. Now, once I joined the Army, and Jim, you talk about being in the Air Force, uh, and, and congratulations to you, of course, as well, and I appreciate you. Uh, military is all about intramural sports. We love playing, you know, competing against each other, competing. If we're not competing overseas against foreign armies, we're competing against each other, you know, as, as often as possible. Um, so when we played, uh, football for our units, um, I always played wide receiver and cornerback. Pretty much everybody plays two ways because there's just not that many people that are whatever. Um, so I always played wide receiver and cornerback. And I will tell you that in all my, non-impressive football experience. Nothing ever felt better than picking off a pass and running that thing all the way back for a pick six. So if I had the opportunity ability and the Bucks actually wanted me, I would play cornerback. Can I change my answer? Yeah, by all means. I want, I want Ryan Griffin's job. Ryan Griffin's, you want to, you want to be the the headset clipboard holder on the side. I want making six figures, getting front row seats to the game. That's what you want. And all the free swag, you know, <laughs> all the swag. all the gear that they get. I mean, what a great life. <laughs> I want to be good enough to be the weekly inactive quarterback. Jeez. I hope Ryan Griffin, uh, if you he ever heard that, would would have a sense of humor enough to to find that humorous. But yeah, I'm sure that Ryan would rather be taking snaps and playing, though. Oh, I'm I'm sure he would too, but I don't think Ryan Griffin is the type of guy to look at the the way his NFL career has played out, you know, he took his first regular season snap for the Buccaneers. You know, this, this past season, what, which game was that? 
because that was when Winston hurt his thumb. But all of a sudden, they came out in the second half. Ryan Griffin was in at quarterback, and none it, of us could figure out. Indianapolis. Was it Indianapolis? Okay. I think it was Indianapolis. Um, yeah, I mean, those are the first regular season snaps he had ever taken in his career. And I can't imagine that he doesn't still love his life. Yeah, I'm sure the competitive side yeah. of him would oh, be yeah. like, yeah, I want to be out there playing. But the dude has been in the NFL for like almost 10 years getting paychecks and he's not going to have to worry about CTE. He's not going to have all of these lingering awful injuries that, that make him make his body deteriorate decades before they are supposed to, you know, you see a lot of these former NFL players with all these health problems because they've had 16 knee surgeries and 14 shoulder surgeries, and they've had nine concussions. And it's like, that's the best of both worlds. You, you, work in the NFL you are paid by a professional football team to be a football player Mm -hmm. but you're not putting your your mind or your body at risk that's that's the dream that's the dream David and he's had more stability than most backup NFL players have in their career right so yeah no I'm sure that you know uh talking to Ryan you would probably agree that he's had a very enjoyable life you know made some good money he's had a good career path he hasn't had uh, to wear a suit to work. He's had to wear, wear a suit traveling to work, but he hasn't had to wear a suit to work. Um, and yeah, uh, you know, I follow him on Instagram. He smiles in all of his pictures, so I'm sure he's fine. But I'm sure he'd also agree that, you know, given the opportunity or or whatever, that he'd rather be on the field than, than you know, on the bench. But hey, I mean, uh, more power to him. I mean, I can't, can't, uh, can't knock. Again, we talked about it before. It takes a lot of talent to suck in the National Football League, and he doesn't even necessarily suck because he's definitely stuck around. Uh, I don't know. Hopefully he's getting his coaching chops, you know, sharpened and maybe that'll be his future. It'll be, you know, he'll become the next football coach that used to be a football player that nobody ever heard of until he put on a headset. All right. Well, David, that is going to do it for this episode. We ran a little bit longer than normal, but Hey, we, for those of you that are into the NFL draft and you're excited about the NFL combine that unfortunately David and I don't get to go to this year. We had the chance. We just, neither one of us could fit it into our schedules. Um, We have some incredible episodes coming up for you tomorrow and Wednesday. You are going to want to make sure that you listen to those because there's going to be plenty of information thrown at you from one of the smartest draft minds out there. So for you, for you draft fanatics, these next two episodes are going to be right up your alley. But until then, of course, check out everything going on over at BucksNation.com. Send us your voicemails to 813-444-5844. One follow along on Twitter at locked on bucks at jarco underscore bucks at dh82 underscore bucks and at bucks underscore nation. Hope you all have an absolutely tremendous Monday, and we thank you all so much for joining us right here at locked on bucks.